This is the Plant Yourself Podcast. I'm Howard Jacobson of plantyourself.com. Quick announcement before we get to today's interview. The Big Change Program is open. We are starting another bobsled run of the program starting in January 2017. And I'm excited to say that we have a test drive available for folks who'd like to find out more about it. I'm putting together a series of lessons that are delivered straight to your inbox. I've got 11 of them so far. The first week it comes one a day and then it spaces out a little bit more over that. I'm guessing there'll be about 15 to 21 altogether. Lesson one is the three pillars of big change. Lesson two is about pillar number one, menu. Lesson three specifically goes into what we call making groceries, Josh's Josh Lajani, my partner in the Big Change program, his way of shopping and cooking that makes it so easy. Lesson four and five and six talk about natural movement, the second pillar. Um, lesson seven talks specifically about how to get started if you're heavy and out of shape. And then lesson eight onward goes into the most important and the biggest part of the Big Change program, mindset. So how do we develop a committed mindset? Lesson nine looks at how to keep motivation from slipping away. If you've ever started something and been excited, and then you know a month later or a year later, you're back to your old ways, what happened and how do we prevent that? Lesson 10, a fun title, Quash the They Say Factoids. Lesson 11, Rules for Radical Change. And as I said, that's all I got so far, but I'm adding about two a day, so you can expect somewhere between 15 and 21. And I want to make it clear that this is not marketing fluff. This is not a whole bunch of sales letters. This is valuable information. And yes, the purpose of the test drive partly is for you to determine if it's right for you. And if it is, I'd love for you to sign up. And if not, then a whole bunch of people are going to gain insight and some drive and some motivation and some ability to begin their own big change, even if they don't sign up. But... Um, you can see for yourself. You can, of course, unsubscribe at any time. And you get to take the test drive by going to bigchangeprogram.com and scroll down until you see a bright blue button that will say, take the test drive. You click that, you give me your name and email, and away we go. Okay, so now to today's podcast. My guest, Katie Simmons, was working as a traditionally trained chef and was moonlighting as a fitness instructor when the dare happened. She was struggling at that point, as she had been her whole life, with her weight and her health. And yes, yeah, she's a fitness instructor, but she says basically she was balancing between compulsive overeating and compulsive overexercising and having to deal with the mirrors in the gym and feeling just lousy about herself and often ashamed and not in great health. And then the dare came, and the dare was go vegan for one month. And that changed everything. Okay, fast forward several years. Katie is now one of the most celebrated personal chefs and culinary instructors in the Chicago area. She actually won Best Chef, Personal Chef in Chicago. And her focus now is on marrying her old passion for delicious fresh food from around the world with her new love of the health-bestowing properties of plants. And I think you'll find in this interview that her enthusiasm is infectious, that anyone who listens to this is going to want to run out, go to the supermarket, grab a cart, and head straight for the produce section. 
and then head home and take a look at her website where she's got great recipes, beautiful photos, and a beautiful heartfelt philosophy about what food is, what it does for us. And it's not just about the yum yum factor, but it's about community. It's about communing with the earth and the farms that produce the food and the stories of the cultures from where the food originated. And she's just a beautiful soul. And so I hope you will enjoy this interview as much as I have. So without further ado, Katie Simmons, welcome to the Plant Yourself podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. So um, you're, you're a personal chef in Chicago, is that right? That is correct. And you've got a really cool story and a whole bunch of, of interests, and we're going to explore those today. Why, why don't we start with your story, how, how you got where you are now? All right. Well, how I got um, to become a chef is basically I fell in love with food um, after trying to be a theater performer and dancer, and that didn't work out. Um, but I love the story that food told and the universal connection we all have with food. Um, and I discovered this when I was traveling and meeting people. And even if we couldn't speak the same language, we could all talk about food and the foods we missed from home and that kind of stuff. Um, so that had me falling in love with food and then to fall in love with plants and embracing a plant-based diet actually began as a dare. <laughs> um, with, uh, so I was hired in a position and my team, there were six of us, uh, we all had this challenge to go vegan. Oh my gosh, vegan for one month. And I was eating meat and yogurt and cheese and eggs and, you know, lean chicken breasts and all that kind of stuff. And I thought I was super healthy. Um, but I was up for the challenge. And so for 30 days, I did this uh, plant-based, no oil, no refined sugar, no refined flour diet. And it was a challenge, but uh, my energy level was awesome. And the effects it had on my body and my mood and just opening up even my taste as a chef and the ideas for recipes and the types of cuisines to cook, uh, that was really exciting. So after that first month, it then became more of a gradual transition to um, not even want to eat meat and want to eat dairy and cheese. And now I'm sort of at that point where I... I enjoy the taste of fruits and vegetables and grains and beans so much that that's, that's my preference when I eat. And so that's, it's easy for me to choose to eat a plant-based diet. Gotcha. Well, there's a lot, a lot to unpack there. So with your, <laughs> with your permission, let's, let's re rewind a bit. So you so said you start, you started out really into theater and dance. That's correct. So what, what happened? Why, why aren't, why aren't we seeing you on Broadway? <laughs> It's a hard life, Howard. It's a tough, uh, <laughs> tough way to make it in Chicago. Um, I was doing like children's theater and uh, a little bit of choreography, but um, and uh, and to sort of supplement that um, lack of income, you could say, <laughs> uh, I worked as a personal trainer in the fitness industry and also taught fitness classes. Um, and so that that whole sort of fitness aspect and and living a healthy lifestyle really. Um, it's always been with me and that, and that sparked, uh, the nutrition connection and eating better food and that kind of thing. Um, and how important diet is with maintaining a high energy active lifestyle. Um, uh -huh. so after about a year and a half, two years of the theater, trying to give it a go, um, that wasn't working out. So focused more on the fitness side and then 
that got me more into nutrition and cooking and, um, yeah, falling in love with food and sort of making that detour. <laughs> I see. So, so help, help me with the chronology because in, in, on your website, uh, mm-hmm. plants-rule.com, is that yeah, right? That's correct. You, you, you have some photos of yourself where you, let, let's, let's put it kindly, like don't look like a fitness instructor. Yeah. Yeah. So when, when um, like, what's the, what was the chronology? Like, were you, like, really into fitness while still struggling with, with, uh, with weight totally. and health? Yes. I, uh, I would describe myself as a excessive exerciser, but also um, compulsive overeater. So I was probably about 40 to 50 pounds heavier when I was teaching 14, 15 fitness classes a week and personal training full-time. Um, and, and I still see that when I go into gyms and I see trainers who are overweight or struggling with their weight, um, and other instructors who are struggling with their weight. Um, so that's pretty common. It's, it's very easy to, (laughs) to eat through a workout, as we say. Um, so yeah, I definitely was still overweight, but I was still teaching classes and, um, just having fun with it. Um, Uh yeah. So was it, was there, I know there have been times in my life, many actually, where I'm teaching something, but I kind of feel a little bit fraudulent, like I'm not embodying yeah. it or there's something wrong. Like, I, you know, I was in marketing for many years and I was struggling to make a living part of that. Yeah. And, and I'm thinking like people are coming to me to learn how to make money and, and I'm like yeah. late on the mortgage. Did Was any of that going on in your mind? Oh, my gosh. Absolutely. Absolutely. It was a constant reminder. Um, even just when you when I was working in a gym and being surrounded by mirrors constantly, um, yeah, it was really hard, um, on my self-esteem just to, to deal with that and a little bit of shame that went along with that. Um, but I was also on the standard American diet and, you know, tr- I thought I was eating healthy when I was eating, uh, granola bars and egg whites and couldn't figure out why I was still overweight. Um, so yeah, it was definitely, <laughs> definitely on my mind and played, um, a big role in it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, did you have some sort of working hypothesis? Like, you know, there's something like, like, you know, you're working out hard in front of people. It's not like you're sitting on the couch and, and, and going to yeah. McDonald's every day. Like you were, you were doing what you're supposed to do, especially right in the right. fitness industry, right? Supposed to eat, eat, you know, eat those lean chicken breasts and egg whites and stuff like that. Like, did you, did you have a story about why? You you were overweight? Yeah, I really did not at the time. Um, I would blame it on emotional eating or, um, yeah, I guess that would be it. You know, we all remember when Oprah came out as like this emotional eater and like she was sort of given a pass and that was a great reason and a great excuse and people took a lot of the um, shame out of it when she was able to say that. Mm. And so I sort of would use that, I guess, to explain things and say, well, I'm just an emotional eater and I'm still struggling with like, I don't know, personal issues and trying to deal with it. But, and I'm, I'm not that overweight, you know, like <laughs> we can talk uh-huh. ourselves out of a lot of stuff. Um, <laughs> so I was young and still trying to learn things as well. And, and I think that's why it really stuck with me when I did make a change and, and started seeing the effects of it. Um, and yeah, that was powerful to get away from those sort of 
addictive cravings and and just change up my routine a little bit with food and um and started losing the weight and that was really that was powerful for me and a big motivation to stay with it so so when you shifted your diet were you like did you still like eat as much as like you know if you feel like you're a compulsive overeater but you know on a plant-based diet yeah. you can eat an awful lot and you can eat a lot of like like did your did was it was there an emotional component or was it simply that your body was being triggered and hijacked by these hyper palatable and you know animal foods? Yeah. Um, I would still say there was still emotional eating behavior. Um, but I was instead of binging on a pint of Ben and Jerry's, which can be sixteen hundred or even two thousand calories, um, now it would binge on a watermelon, which, you know, <laughs> you could eat a lot of watermelon, but it's hard to get 2,000 calories of watermelon before your stomach explodes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, I would still have emotional eating um, tendencies, but because I was eating calorie um, food that was not as calorie dense, um, it didn't have the same effect on me. I still was able to, like, lose weight and... And it also didn't create that sort of addiction um, quality. At some point, there would be a stopping point, and I would get full and just uncomfortable and and stop. Um, so, yeah, the behavior has taken a little bit longer um, to sort of change, notice, and recognize and, and move from that. But getting away from addictive foods has been um, life-changing and, and sort of breaking that cycle and, and, and having a stopping point, quite honestly, where you just get too full to keep doing it. Like you just have to stop. Yeah. Mm. So the first thing you said was, you know, you fell in love with food after theater and dance and you loved the story that food told. So mm -hmm. it, it sounds a little bit like you, you kept doing theater, but you changed the venue is, is like, is that what you meant by the, the, sto <laughs> exactly. the, story, the story? The story of food. What, totally. What well, like I always, yeah, I always, uh, I always appreciated how theater told a story and it and it spoke across many languages. Um, and I'm actually a dancer more than even a, a theater performance. So like, there's no language at all in dance. It's just the visual and the music, and you see and you feel. Um, and when I was. Uh, sort of exploring food, I was actually traveling and backpacking in New Zealand and going in and out of hostels um, and working on some farms and that kind of thing. And I was by myself and I would fall in love with the story of the food, whether it was a farm I was working on and learning more about the different uh, foods that are grown in New Zealand and what's native to the to the uh, culture there and their dishes and their cuisines um, and also meeting travelers in hostels. And after we've been out traveling all day at the end of the night, everybody comes back and they cook food and it would be a great moment for me to share and learn about Irish food and Dutch bread and cheeses. And, you know, everybody talks about their, their grandma's meatloaf or meat sauce or whatever that everybody loves. And I just really lo love that, that we could connect on that sort of, um, that was such an easy connecting point. You know, everybody can talk about food and what they miss from home. Um, mm. So, yeah. Yeah. So I could see how, how getting involved in, in sort of food culture and food storytelling from that way would help you get away from things like McDonald's and Snickers bars that are, yeah. you know, clearly manufactured. <laughs> but, like, there's such a rich story of food that involves 
you know, animal agriculture in practically every country, even even if they're almost entirely plant-based, like the things they talk mm-hmm. about are the, mm-hmm. the feast dishes and the meat dishes. Was it was it hard for you from a just a just a, a richness of story perspective to to let go of of that entire vein of, of cuisine? Um, that's been a gradual process. So, um, so when I started culinary school, um, our last little, uh, quarter there, last little first, we work in fine dining and we would go to the farmer's market at least once a week and meet the farmers and learn about the foods they're growing, the seasons, the culture, that kind of thing. Um, and I had always sort of been close to farm culture, um, because I grew up in Kentucky, and that was a part of my history. But uh, going to the market, I, I vividly remember this one day where the first peaches of the season are there. And the farmer's telling us all about these peaches, and they're finally here. And, and so the chef's instructor, she buys peaches, and we all take it back to the kitchen, and we taste these peaches. And now she's like, okay, this is we got to tell the story of the farmer on the plate. How can we do that? Um, huh. simple ingredient and we just simply grilled the peaches and that was it. And that brought out this amazing flavor. It's the first dish of the season. Um, so, so actually, you know, embracing the story of food and the chef's story and, and learning about the farms. Yeah. Meat has a story. Um, but I really fell in love with fruits and vegetables as well. Cause there's so many heirloom varieties out there and just, um, even learning all the names of the different heirloom tomatoes and that kind of thing um, and where they come from and how they're trying to grow fig trees in Illinois. I find that fascinating. Um, so I never thought that I was giving up something by um, shifting away from meat. It was more like embracing this whole new world that <laughs> has so mm. many possibilities and so many stories to tell. So, yeah. I, I can see how the, the, the nuance of the plant-based world, like, you know, chickens, like, okay, there's a chicken. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like I could see how that would, that would appeal to a dancer. Yeah. Where, where, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. We're like, I, you know, you and I could do the same motion <laughs> ostensibly, but, uh, <laughs> you know, I would, I would, you know, probably make a hole in the wall, but, uh, you know, the, the sensitivity of, of, um, of just your body in space and uh, all the, all the little details seems like, yeah, like uh, that's a good, yeah, good. Yes. Details, um, the little nuances of the story. Yeah. You sort of start to notice those and, and appreciate them. Um, yeah. And it's fun to share that sort of curiosity. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so you went vegan on a dare when you were already a chef or in chef school. What was the, Yeah, so I was already a chef. I had finished culinary school, um, and I was working for a major natural grocery store. And I was hired on a team to basically create recipes that now had to follow this very strict plant-based diet. Um, So I was was already a chef, and I was hired in sort of this recipe development role. And I would have to teach cooking classes that also celebrated a plant-based diet. Um, and as sort of our uh, initial boot camp training program, we had to spend two weeks learning about the nutrition side of this, uh, learning about the culinary side of it, and testing out recipes and tasting the food and that kind of thing. 
And this two weeks, little did I know <laughs> that this two weeks would begin a month-long challenge to um, fully embrace this way of eating. Uh, so, so that was definitely a challenge, and I was quite resistant to it, but I'm also very competitive. So <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that tended to outweigh the, like, resistance. Yeah. Uh, reminds me, I'm, I'm watching a, a Werner Herzog masterclass on filmmaking, and he tells mm-hmm. this story about, I forget what movie it is, but Christian Bale, the actor, is in it, and he has to eat grubs. And Werner Herzog, oh, the, the director, like <laughs> tells us, like, he starts eating the grubs first. Oh, God. <laughs> right? as, 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 like, to be a role model. I, I guess your your story was a little more palatable than that, but it was it's like the same yeah. the same principle. Like if you're going to be if you're going to be representing this diet and lifestyle, then you got to live it for a while at least. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's been a very helpful reference point when people um, are trying out this diet. I remember that fear and that hesitation and that resistance I had to it, and I also remember the effect it had on my body and like sort of going through like meat withdrawal. <laughs> that first week and two weeks and trying to figure out how much food I needed to eat and to get enough um, complex carbohydrates and not just live on salad. Um, so, yeah, it was a really helpful learning tool. Oh, but it was brutal, Howard. It was brutal. I don't, I don't <laughs> if I had known what I was getting into, I don't know. At least there were no grubs, but geez. <laughs> yeah. Well, were, were you surprised when you took the nutrition classes? Because, you know, as, as, a, as a trainer, like I know a lot of people in the fitness industry and they're sure they're right, mm. right? The, the, the chicken breasts and the, and the yeah. whey powder and, and this is how yeah. you eat and you can have salad and kale, but don't have, you know, right. beans and rice and corn and potatoes. Right. Were, were you resistant to this nutritional <laughs> training or? Um, like? Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> when it gets everything, the irony is I, um, in my book, uh, or my travel bag on the airplane ride down there, I was reading the nutrition book that was all about like nutrition for fitness, you know, and it was talking about how a vegan diet will never work and you're not getting enough of these nutrients and that kind of thing. Um, and, uh, luckily I was able to do this, this two week training while we were going through it. There was a registered dietitian and two doctors there. And so every morning I would come in with my questions and every morning they would sort of put me in my place and say, well, here's this study and here's this study and just, just trust us. You know, that sort of, um, an, an underlying theme of just sort of trust us. But, uh, yeah, I was totally resistant and, and I probably thought I was going to, you know, die from lack of protein and like, oh, my gosh, I feel so weak and tired and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but yeah, just hang in there. And I tell that to people, again, just trying this out. And it's like, okay, just hang in there. Get through that first month. It's going to be a little rough at times. Um, but uh, but it's worth it. And, you know, just go just keep walking forward. <laughs> it's going to be OK. Oh. That's great that you have that that resistant story so that you can kind of uh you know encourage and reassure other people. Yeah. That, that yeah. You, just, you went through it. Uh, it. It definitely was not like the hippie story of like, oh, I just love animals so much. I just had to like stop eating meat like when I was 15 <laughs> years old. I'm like, no. <laughs> I was much older and much more like not wanting to do this, but, well, but and I especially it once I got into it. <laughs> especially for a trained chef, like the way chefs think about I love animals is how many different yeah. ways can I prepare them? Yeah. 
Yeah. Right. I mean, yeah. How much of your culinary education was on you know devoted to cooking animal foods? Oh my gosh, it's the whole. It's all culinary school. I mean, you take you take six weeks of meat. You take six weeks of seafood, fish. You take six weeks of garde manger, which is all about making sausage and cheese. You know, six weeks of pastry, which is eggs, sugar, fat, cream, butter, all that kind of stuff. So um, there was no six week lentil course. Um, <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> it's it's like this, this slow mo assassination, a slow mo assassin academy. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, so yeah, it was, it was quite a shakeup, but then that's also what's been exciting because this world is new to me. Um, I'm able to bring the same appreciation for ingredients and the same appreciation for cooking technique and the same sort of methodical understanding of like, how do you approach a new recipe and new ingredient? Um, that's, that, that's trained in me because that's what we did. That's what you do. Um, but now I have all these new ingredients to play with. So that's, that's pretty exciting. Huh. Cool. So what you said you, you were, uh, you're working on a book, um, yeah. before, before we got in the air, you mentioned a book you're working on. Tell us about that. Yeah. So I'm, I'm in the process of putting together the fundamentals of plant-based cooking. And this is going to help somebody who is trying to grasp this whole plant-based cooking world and, and how it unfolds in the kitchen. And this is really from a chef's insight and I'm cooking recipes 50 hours a week. And after doing all that, I have a lot of tips that are going to help you um, make cooking easier and more exciting and sharing some new ingredients and new recipes with you and new techniques with you. But I also have the realistic approach of how do I make this work for every day when I have 10 minutes to make dinner. Um, so like some little insights, it's, it's actually becoming quite popular in restaurants to use the microwave as a cooking mechanism. And chefs use it because it's quick and it creates a drier um, product. So for instance, if you're making gnocchi with potatoes it's better to pop your potatoes in the microwave because you get a drier potato and that makes a fluffier gnocchi um so we can use that in a weeknight approach when you have seven minutes to make dinner you can do a stuffed sweet potato in your microwave and when it comes out you throw in some spices and the heat of the potato heats up those spices and activates them and um makes a delicious dinner so so yeah i'm um, putting together that cookbook and Again, it'll walk you through the fundamentals of the most common plant-based ingredients. So quinoa, lentils, beans, fruits, vegetables, um, chia seeds, how to use flax seed in your baking, and uh, give you the fundamentals and step-by-step photos that walk you through that, and then also the recipes that go along with that. Um, so that you can start playing with it and and have really the tools and the techniques that then you can apply to whatever kind of dishes you want to make. Hmm. Who who's the audience? Did you have like a person in mind or a type of person? Yeah, the, my my audience is the person who feels somewhat comfortable in the kitchen and is used to doing that, but is also just used to cooking meat and dairy and eggs and 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 is a little intimidated by this whole plant based thing. And maybe they've never cooked quinoa or they did it once and it got mushy. 
Um, and so they want to they want to get their cooking skills better with these plant based foods, um, so that it's delicious and and also healthy at the same time. Um, so yeah, it's that person who just needs that little bit of extra help and and maybe has had some failures in the past in the kitchen. There's some things that were disappointing, and this is going to help um, give them the tools that then they feel confident um, to cook more often these plant based foods. Huh. It feels like that's kind of an underserved demographic, people who are reluctant to shift because they don't want to be bad at it again. Yeah, totally. I know. It's so funny. I talk to friends and, and even like I still teach at the gym and the people who come take my classes, they're like, well, I just do chicken breast because it's easy. <laughs> and for me, uh-huh. I'm like, well, I just do quinoa because it's easy. <laughs> you know, like, um, I think it's hard to cook chicken because you can make it dry and, and, you know, that kind of thing. But people are just used to it. Um, and it's and it's easy. And they don't have to think about it. And they know it'll taste fine. They just throw a sauce on it and it's fine. Um, and so I want to help give them the tools that um, make cooking quinoa just as easy and just as natural or cooking potatoes just as easy and, and natural and um, start having them think of that as like a healthy and delicious way to have dinner. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cause you know, I know, I know a lot of people who, you know, like mo- most of this country I think doesn't know, doesn't have any sort of culinary literacy whatsoever. Mm. Like have, have we've lost, we've lost that chain of, of tradition to just be able to cook stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and though for, for those people, it's actually kind of easy to get them to cook plant-based because they don't have to worry about, you know, pathogens and, uh, and storage and, and has it it gone bad? And, and, but, but for people who are already entrenched and their kind of their family identity or their identity as Mm -hmm. nurturers or their identity as creatives is wrapped up around, you know, the, the, you know, the, the tuna filet or the, um, Mm -hmm you know, the, the, the salmon roulade or whatever it is, they, they, yeah. they feel like they're giving something up if they're just going to make a big, you know, big pile of, you know, rice and beans. Yeah. Yeah. It's, they don't find it as exciting, I guess. Um, and, and for me as a chef, that's part of what I want to pass on is how exciting this food is and the story of the food. And, um, a lot of the cooking I do tells a story because it comes from a part of the world that people aren't used to going to, like making a Moroccan chickpea tagine. And, and now you're in Morocco and you taste all these flavors. And when people taste that, they feel that excitement and they feel that story and they feel that, that they want more. They feel that curiosity. Um, and the same way that they taste something that, you know, a big pot of chili that's been cooking all day on the stove. They feel that excitement and like, oh, my God, I can't wait to taste this kind of thing. So I'm trying to bring that sort of excitement into plant-based food and and get people excited about it and the possibilities it has. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So so I have a question that uh, it may be a little bit of a, of a devil's advocate sort of question. Yeah. Um, but- <laughs> One of the things that I worry about with people, especially people that I'm working with personally to, you know, kind of lose weight, get fit, reverse disease, is that they they have been for their whole life excited about food. And they've been excited about food in a way that, like, I would like to see people excited about other things like mm-hmm. love and life and theater and sex and <laughs> sunsets. 
but they, you know, but like in our culture, it's, it's fine to be like, oh my God, that dish I had, mm. you know? So, so is, is there, is there a danger in, in sort of fetishizing even plant, even healthy, no oil, whole food, plant-based cooking? <laughs> I, I would love the day to come where kale is photographed as much as bacon cheeseburger tower. <laughs> yeah. So I don't think we're at that point yet. I, I actually am okay with like over glamorizing kale salads and, and stuffed acorn squash. Um, because I don't feel like that food has that same sort of addictive compulsion and it's not going to have the same effect on your body. Um, mm. And you know, to everything, there needs to be balance in your life. Um, and it, and I love the story that food tells because I can share that story. Um, and I think food should be, you know, it's as much about gathering around the table and who you're sitting around that table with as it is about the food on the table. Um, so I think that's a key, you know, reminder that we love food, but it's also about sharing that experience with people and sharing that sense of community and sharing communion with people. Um, you never want to get to a point where you're cutting off yourself um, because you're so obsessed about food or, it's, you know, it's taking away from other parts of your life. But, but no, I mean, if you get so excited about heirloom tomatoes that you want to go to the farmer's market on Saturday morning and take pictures of them, Hey, I think that's a small, <laughs> I think that's a pretty cool way to spend your Saturday morning. Um, especially if it brings you passion and joy, like, oh yeah, please go for it. So I hear what you're saying, but I'm I'm still fighting for like, you know, kale salad on the front page of more food magazines and, and the food media. That would be awesome. <laughs> yeah. I guess maybe, maybe there's a difference between, like true artistic appreciation and obsession and just, mm. I, I gotta have, you know, like, um, you know, I think, I think about people who are like, or they're plant-based, but they gotta have like really rich sauces. Like everything's got cashews in it or, you know, mm. or peanut butter based or, or, um, or, just, you know, just, I don't know. It's, it's like if, if people are, Hmm. Well, I guess it comes back to like what your goals are and what your, um, yeah, basically what your goals and motivation are. And if you're struggling with health issues or you're overweight and, and, and you're finding that that's really, um, becoming frustrating for you and something you want to change, then there needs to be, then you need to, you know, take a second look at your food, your relationship with food. Um, and if it's becoming obsessive or compulsive, then, trying to get away from those foods that are causing that sort of obsessive compulsive behavior. Um, so, but if you're somebody who's just trying to eat more color on the plate and trying to like get excited about salads, um, or trying to get your kid to try out new vegetables, well then heck yeah, make a game out of it or make little character faces out of it or, or cook an extravagant dinner that has all these amazing grilled vegetables. Um, I think, you know, it sort of depends on the individual and their goals and and mm. how they're feeling about their relationship with food um, and where they want to go with that. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I guess these, um, you know, very, very, um, you know, culinary positive, pers you know, experiences are really good for helping people like over a hump, like some, mm -hmm. you know, 
like they're great. It's great marketing. Yeah. Yeah. Right? And yeah. then people will, will settle down into something that is, that, uh, that coincides with the goals that they're trying to reach. Yeah. So, yeah. so what, tell, when, when is the cookbook going to be available and where? And... <laughs> it's in process. I know. All right. Sooner than later. Um, hopefully by early 2017. Um, it's been a long process, but, uh, putting it together and, um, I currently have a holiday cookbook available that'll help you get through the holidays with a two plant-based oil-free menus and one is completely gluten-free. Um, so if anybody's looking for help for, you know, the major holidays this year, that can help you. And you can get that from my website at plants-roll.com. Um, and, uh, okay. and the cookbook is coming. <laughs> There's tons cool. of videos on my site that help people and tons of recipes up there. So plenty of tools and resources to help get you started. And then just uh, stay tuned, stay posted, and uh, you'll hear about when the cookbook, when it comes out. Yeah. Awesome. And I'll, I'll include links in the show notes for this episode. Okay. Um, and I will, I will announce the, na- the, the number of this episode at the end. So, okay. Uh, because I don't, I don't know it yet. But uh, when I when I record my <laughs> outro, I will. Um, so so you're you're not only like, you know, a chef, but you're you also like interact with the public a lot, right? You do a lot of personal chefing and teaching. Mm-hmm. So you you, you have like mm-hmm. you're like a clinician of food. You're not just like a, an academic or a theorist. You see how people relate to food and what they do right mm-hmm. and what they do wrong and what they're good at and what they're uncomfortable with. What, what do you see, mm-hmm. you know, who typically, you know, invites you into their home to either cook for them or teach them how to cook. And, and what, what are the gaps that you help fill? Yeah. Um, most of, most of the time when I do private events and um, private dinners, usually like with cooking classes or private dinners, First of all, it's a celebration and people, you know, we, we love using food as a way to celebrate and as a gift to others and as a gift to ourselves. Um, food is, is often the centerpiece of that. And and the people who really appreciate my services and my take on it is that we're going to get as much of a celebration and as much joy and excitement out of food, even though we're going to make it a little bit healthier. <laughs> And it's going to be incredibly delicious, and we'll probably try new flavors. So a lot of the times, my um, my dinners and cooking classes will go to different parts of the world. So we'll do like Vietnamese green Thai or Vietnamese green curry, um, and make like daikon slaw and that kind of thing. Or we'll go to Cuba and do good old rice and beans and and make it from scratch, um, and people really appreciate, again, it's coming back to the story um, and the history of food and this part of the world and, and why are these herbs and spices in there and what's, why is it called this dish and what, you know, what sort of melting pot is on the palate and in the bowl. Um, so yeah, a lot of times people really appreciate that and they appreciate connecting with their food on a deeper level. And as much as we, you know, we get into that rut of like needing quick food and like something delivered right now, um, I also see this this glimmer and this gratitude for when you do smell something bubbling away on the stove and you you do see raw ingredients become this finished product. 
Um, and there's a real joy in that. And, and the more I see it, the more I share with people, like it's worth cooking. Like it doesn't have to be elaborate. It can be as much as, as crazy as, you know, boiling pasta and sauteing off some spinach and tomatoes. Um, but to employ all of your senses to do that and to create something from scratch, um, there's a real sense of joy and pride and confidence that comes with that and, and do it more. And it's okay. You know, it's only food. <laughs> if it burns, it burns. But, um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I, I would say that's one of the most common themes, um, is that sort of appreciation for when you do cook something from scratch, um, and cook for yourself and nourish yourself. It's really rewarding. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And it's, it, it seems like, you know, cooking is, is like one of the things that we have to do if we want to be authentically human. Mm. Like yeah. or at, you know, at least preparing our own food. Right. Like what, you know, like, you know, I, I think about like, you know, history books and, and movies and like the person who didn't prepare their own food was like the, you know, the obese emperor, with, huh. you know, with people like, huh. you know, fanning with palm fronds and popping grapes in their mouth. But like everybody else, like could cook, could, mm. could feed themselves. Like mm. it's when you, when I, when I put it like that, it seems like a fairly basic requirement, but we live in a society mm. in which it's really not necessary. We've outsourced the skill and the care uh, and the quality control of feeding ourselves to, to multinational corporations. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. Um, I also, I mean, I just, it, it is authentic and especially because you're employing all of your senses and you're fully involved in it and you're fully thinking about what you are putting in your body. And it's very um, visceral on some level when you do cook for yourself versus when food just shows up. <laughs> um, so yeah, there's, it's, it's more, it requires a bit more um, investment of yourself to cook. Mm. Okay, so you you cook um, like no oil and like how how would you describe your cooking to those of us you know in the community? Right. <laughs> um, for well, as a personal chef, I cook for my clients and I cook for whatever they want. So that can be as that's as much as my classic culinary training, and I have as much meat and cheese and oil and all that kind of stuff as it calls for. Um, but in my day-to-day -day life and what I choose to cook for myself and for my family and loved ones is uh, primarily plant-based and primarily oil-free and free of refined sugars and flours. Um, so I cook a lot of, you know, ethnic foods from scratch and stews and soups um, and stuffed potatoes and that kind of thing. But, but yeah, pretty much plant-based, um, yeah. Gotcha. And do you find that people um, like find it tasty, even even though it's missing all the sugar and the fat? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> I rarely have somebody tell me they don't like the food or who leaves too much on the plate. Uh, most of the plates are clean when I cook, um, which is a good sign. But uh, they'll say it tastes different, or they'll say it tastes lighter. Um, it's not as rich. Um, and it's funny. So I, I, I usually help my mom cooking for Thanksgiving or like if I cook for a party for friends over the holidays, um, 
after the meal, like, you know, you, you just had Thanksgiving meal or you just had Christmas Festivus meal. And usually you're like in a coma on the couch, right? When you're used to eating like the right. traditional holiday <laughs> routine. Um, but usually after eating my food, like two to three hours later, people are like, wow, I, I feel great. Like, now, now what do we do? We don't, we don't have any, any tradition for actually like interacting with each other now. I know. Well, I'm like, let's go for a walk. Yeah. <laughs> I'm the fitness kid. Right. Like, it's beautiful outside. Let's go for a walk. But, uh, but, but yeah, it's funny. Um, it does taste different, and like even, I mean, no matter who I'm cooking for, it, it, that's pretty common. It, it might taste a little different just because I'll go lighter on the salt or lighter on the sugar and that kind of thing. Um, but it's still delicious. I mean, the flavor is always always going to be there for sure. Gotcha. Do you do you take your own photographs on your website? Yes, I do. Yeah. They're they're really beautiful. Did you did you, did you how did you learn how to do that? <laughs> um, just practice. I like I've always been into photography, um, from traveling, and uh, you know I I guess I read a couple of blog posts that tell you like oh you know help you with lighting that kind of thing. But um, coming back to like being a dancer and noticing details and, and lighting plays a big role when you're dancing and performing on stage. Um, I it's just trial and error and practice and that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, no formal training or anything. Huh. Uh, yeah, your your food your 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 website is definitely a, a performance art with food. <laughs> yeah. Um, yes. Um, gosh, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm distracted by the, um, blueberry oat crisp. (laughs) Oat crisp. Yeah. Well, and that's my idea. It's like, again, going back to like, I'm based in Chicago and, you know, if you look at a magazine rack, you'll see, and you see 10 pictures of food, eight of them are going to involve bacon, steak, or cheese. Um, and so that's sort of the food porn that we are constantly exposed to. And, and for me, it's like, let's try to celebrate blueberries and make them, you know, the star of the show and get people just as excited about eating these amazing foods, um, that are healthy for them. Um, so I, I mean, when you're dealing with so much color in the plant-based world, it's it's kind of easy to make it look pretty, um, versus Mm. taking a picture of a chicken breast. It's it's hard to (laughs) (laughs) Well, I feel like plant-based food is definitely, definitely looks better when it's raw. Yeah. (laughs) Like, like you rarely (laughs) see on menus, you rarely see like the raw bloody cut of meat. It's always like cooked. (laughs) But, but blueberries are are pretty sexy raw too. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Exactly. The farmer's market, there's not a lot of people taking pictures of the like pork belly. It's like, (laughs) oh. Oh man! Cool. So um, you also do like teach cooking, right? Yeah, yeah, that's correct. So, what's the one skill that mm-hmm. if you could, you know, if you could teach the world to cook, if, if there was one skill you could give people um, that would make that would empower them to to be better at this, what would it be? I would say, I mean, the biggest lesson is just to practice and to have a good quality knife and practice chopping food Um, and basic knife skills. You know, if I was going to give somebody homework who's coming to my class, I'd say, okay, at least once a week, I want you to make stir fry. 
and practice thinly slicing any sort of vegetables you want. Um, but just get used to the practice and getting comfortable with the knife. And that will make your cooking so much more exciting because you'll feel comfortable in the kitchen and you'll be faster and you'll pick up your pace and you'll be wanting to try new things. Um, but that's sort of a key fundamental skill. I mean, knife skills is always the first week of culinary school. Um, uh-huh. But it's key and it's it's fundamental so that you feel comfortable, you know, having your cutting board set up, having a nice sharp knife that feels good in your hand, and then going through the practice and the motion so that it becomes automatic. Like, that's, that's awesome. And then you can build from there. Gotcha. If someone's not in Chicago... Ooh, how can, how do you recommend they, they learn knife skills? Because I've 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 been told by people like I'll do cooking demos and you know and I I present myself as like if I can do it anyone can do it because because yeah. you know I'm not trained and I'm not you know a dancer out there but but and I have been told by people who are like into cooking but not necessarily understanding nutrition that like they hold their breath the whole time because they're afraid I'm going to slice my fingers off. Like where, where where would I learn, where would we learn how to do how to do it right? Right. Um, the best, I would say take a cooking class and, and look for a cooking class that's going to be at a culinary school. Uh, so I'm in Chicago. I went to Kendall college and they have these weekend culinary boot camps um, where somebody can go in and take um, a cooking class. And in there you're going to be, taught by a, a chef, um, a trained chef. So if that's a possibility, that's going to be the best way to do it in person with a trained chef in the culinary school sort of setup, because that's, you know, it's just, it's going to be more um, official, if you will. Um, and make sure you have a good knife that you like and feels comfortable and is sharp um, before you take that class. And, and you can get help on picking out knives. If you go into a good quality um, cooking um, store, they can help you pick out a knife. Um, there's lots of resources online that you can, you know, how to pick out a knife and all the different kinds of knives that are out there. But then when you go into the store, pick up the knife, hold it in your hand, see how it feels, see what it feels like, you know, and if you need to return it, make sure you can return it. Um but yeah, have a good knife and then find a, a culinary school near you that might have one of these boot camp classes or have like a six week kind of class and, and, and get in there. Yeah. Mm. It's one of the, one of the things that when I, when I traveled, I would, and I had room in my suitcase and I was going to be staying at other people's houses. I mm-hmm. would bring in, I would bring like a sharpening stone. Yeah. Because I, 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 I can't tell you. I can't even think about, I can't even remember the last time I was in someone else's kitchen and their knives were sharp. Oh my gosh. It's hilarious. It's hilarious. When I cater these private events, people are like, yeah, you can use our knives. I'm like, no, no. (laughs) (laughs) When I travel, I definitely bring my knife and my steel um, with me. (laughs) Yeah. Flying overseas, no matter where I'm going, pretty much I'll bring my knife and my steel. Yeah. Yeah. I'll see someone with like a $700 Wusthof block. And then you pull it out and it's like, oh, you know, like, you know, Yogi Berra was still catching when this knife was sharp. Oh my God. Yeah. It kind of makes me cry a little bit. (laughs) Really nice things. Yeah. Is that hard to do to to learn how to sharpen it? Because they sell all sorts of, Ah. you know, like the, the chef's choice, the electric, the electric stuff. Oh God. Yeah. Yeah. No, there's actually really good YouTube videos, um, and there's probably many more since I first looked them up, but uh, how to sharpen a knife, 
Um, and I know some of you, even some culinary schools now are uploading videos um, for their students, but the public can see them. Um, so if you can find a culinary school, how to sharpen knife, like look that up on YouTube, that'll help give you an idea um, on how to do it and at least get you started. And then <laughs> the key is to spend some time doing it. People like to, you know, be done after like three strokes on a sharpening stone, but it can take a while, especially if you have a pretty dull knife to start with. Um, but yeah. <laughs> Right. And people are scared of sharp knives, but in my experience, it's, you know, the sharp knife will, will cut me, but the dull knife will like, you know, threaten to sever a limb. Yes, exactly. It can go all over the place. Yeah. A nice sharp knife is actually a very safe knife. So um, sharp knife and a, and a stable cutting board is as safe as we'd work. <laughs> cool. All right. So for people who want to know more about you and follow you and you have, I don't know, maybe like a hundred recipes free online for people. Oh my gosh. There's like 300 up there. 300. <laughs> so, yes. so you're, you're, you're pretty much a one-stop shop for, um, uh, you know, oil, oil free whole food plant-based cooking and tell us the website one more time. Sure. It's plants rule. That's www.plants-rule.com. And I am Chef Katie Simmons. I'm on YouTube. I'm on Facebook and Twitter and all those kinds of things and plants rules on there. Um, so, yeah, come follow me and check out some recipes and watch some videos and get cooking. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, well, Katie Simmons, thank you so much for, for all you do, for the, for the recipes, for the education, for the inspiration, and for spending time with us today. Thank you, Howard. I am so excited. I love your show, and I listen to your podcast often while I'm cooking. Um, and it's just been great learning about um, your program and all of the great topics that you talk about. So thank you for sharing so much um, of your excitement for plants with the world. Really appreciate it. Oh, thank you. And yeah, listen to this one while you're cooking. See what happens. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> all right. Be, be well, Katie. All right. Thanks, Howard. If you enjoyed this episode of the Plant Yourself podcast, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. For more information about the Big Change Program, led by me and Josh Lajani, visit bigchangeprogram.com. And be sure to check out the show notes for today's episode with links to everything we talked about at plantyourself.com slash 187. If you're new to the show, you can catch up on 186 archived episodes over at plantyourself.com. And if you get the podcast but not the weekly email newsletter, why don't you get over to plantyourself.com and sign up. Thanks, as always, to Plant Yourself podcast patrons Kim Harrison, Lynn McClellan, Anthony Disson, Brittany Porter, Dominic Morrow, Elizabeth Clifton, Barbara Whitney, Tammy Black, Amy Good, Amanda Hatherley, Mary Jane Wheeler, Ellen Kennedy, oh... Ellen Kennelly, Melissa Cobb, Rachel Behrens, Christine Nielsen, Tina Scharf, Tina Ahern, Jen Vilkanovsky, David Bizek, The Mysterious, Michelle X, Elspeth Feldman, Victoria Dolomanova, Leah Stoller, Alan Christensen, Colleen Peck, Michelle Landry, Josina, Julianne Rowland, Stu Dolnick, Sarah Durkis, Rhymes with Circus, Kelly Cameron, and new this week, Wayne Pedersen, or Peterson, I'm not sure, I gotta find out, for your generous support of the podcast. Thanks also to Will Ridenauer for allowing me to use his beautiful song, Sabali Don, Dance of Peace. You can find more of Will's music at his website, willridenauer.com. 
If you'd like to support the show, you can, of course, share this and other episodes on social media and via email. You can write that review on iTunes. Helps so much. And you can become a patron by pledging a one-time amount or an ongoing gift to the podcast over at plantyourself.com. Just look on the right sidebar for the donate or Patreon links. In running news, I signed up. I plopped down my money for the Tobacco Road Marathon, which will be in Apex, North Carolina in March. So I have like 15 weeks to try to get a either 3.30 or 3.45 time, depending on whether I want to Boston qualify or not. I keep going back and forth on whether I think I can do it. This week, I think I can. Last week, I thought I couldn't. Um, I'm following the um, Jeff Galloway model right now of Walk Run, which I don't know if it's going to make me go any faster, but it sure is more fun. So we'll see how that goes. In garden news, the mustard greens and the kale are still going nice and strong, and we're getting ready to plant garlic, which is really fun. You take the little buds of garlic, and you pop them in the ground, and you think, well, I just wasted a ton of garlic. And then in the spring, it comes back up, and each of those little buds turns into its own head. It's... I don't know. It's, it's kind of like really cool economics. Like you wonder why, you know, humans who are part of nature, why we can't create economies that work as well as putting things in the ground and seeing the abundance come out. Makes you think. All right. That's it for this week. As always, be well, my friends. <laughs>